My name is Anda Gunska, and this is Pros and Content. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, a digital content intelligence platform. I'm a massive data nerd who's fallen in love with storytelling. And so on the Pros and Content podcast, we will be featuring a series of really incredible leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance, measurement, scalability, and optimization of storytelling. Today on Pros and Content, we have a very special interview with Leanne Cutts the Group Chief Marketing Officer for HSBC. Leanne talks to us about how HSBC defines content and tailors it to center around the customer journey, all while ensuring it meets customer needs in a way that is quick, consistent, and flexible. We also cover what Leanne thinks has changed forever versus what will bounce back, and why you don't need a degree in marketing to become an effective, impactful CMO. As she puts it, you don't build a legacy taking comfortable jobs. We're eagerly awaiting the launch of Pros and Content Season 2, but we just couldn't wait to bring you this timely conversation with Leanne Cutts. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pros and Content. I am so excited to finally be here today with the CMO of HSBC, Leanne Cutts. Welcome, Leanne. Thank you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. It's been a while since we first connected. I think we first talked, was it the beginning of this year? No. Yes, I think it was actually probably January, February. It was in January. And we were talking about the, you know, the role of content and we got excited about meeting in Cannes and doing our podcast in Cannes. And then the world went a different way. Um, And so I'm curious to hear just at a high level, how have you been doing during this time? How have you survived Hmm. over the last few months? Well, it is really great to be here. And yes, look, I think it's it's really, it, I think COVID generally has meant for all of us uh, a very kind of different way of working, but it's accelerated so many things that we were already doing. Uh, I think all of us were looking to work, working from home in some capacity, particularly in the marketing community, in our agency, creative community. So this has really kind of accelerated so many things, whether it's for us working at home or for our customers. Uh, for me personally, I yes, I'm here in London. So I'm here in East London and um, at home here with, with my family as well. And I think it's great to have a little, I've got a, I've got a park across the road, so at least I get somewhere to go oh, kind of in the mornings and work off, the, the, work off all the Zoom stress and the Zoom exhaustion yeah. that I think we're all feeling. <laughs> um, and, yeah. Yeah, so, and make sure that I have, I think like everyone, find a way to kind of set boundaries, make sure we've got some, yeah. some time to to kind of breathe um, and not go from Zoom call to Zoom call, I think, because it's a very kind of singular mode of communication. So just trying to mix it up a bit, actually. I think we um, we all thought that working from home was going to be about having boundaries, you know, like finally we could get that time with our family and have more time to work out. And I think some of that has happened, but I, what we were not used to or you, or kind of prepared for was just how intrusive uh, the digital work life was going to be because you really can't pause it. Um, and it's been a really interesting learning curve for workaholics to really create those boundaries. Whereas before uh, there was a natural boundary when you were going home. Now it's getting more and more blurred. So it's interesting to, to hear. It is. And I think the transitions too from task to task and from context to context. And as we switch context, how do we make sure we've got some transition time? So that's what I'm building into my day is a lot more transition time, which we normally would have 
Oh, whether we were kind of meeting other people or whether we were, you know, whether it was kind of like those accidental kind of coffee moments or right. in the lift or in other meetings, moving from place to place. Um, or for me, of course, doing a lot of travel. So there were lots of natural transition moments. So now I'm trying to kind of build them in so that I have some way to kind of do the kind of context switch and, and then for, you know, be able to then be fully present for the next kind of interaction. And, um, and I, think, I think I'm also really conscious that COVID is not an equalizer. I think we really recognise that it's very different for so many different people uh, across our team. So we've had to be you know, much more thoughtful about actually checking in to make sure that things are working for, for others around the team because we all have so many different experiences and, so, and particularly for those who've got caring responsibilities. So finding different mm -hmm. ways to kind of contract what working hours look like, what, you know, what, does out, what, are, what are the real outcomes we're seeking for as a team, how do we work together and collaborate. And I'm sure we'll get to talk a little bit more about that, but that's really, I'm also really thoughtful about that because I think that's really important that we recognise that for a lot of people, they're juggling so many different things. And then for other people too, they're actually on their own. And how do we help them with that as well? Well, I have so many questions for you. Um, you know, we, we've talked a couple of times and I've always been impressed with both the, the creative muscle that you've built, um, but also with everything you're doing on, on the data front. Um, and so I wanted to start by asking you, you know, in relation to COVID, because this is a storytelling podcast, tell us a little bit about what content meant to HSBC before COVID. And what content has come to mean since? Have there been any changes? And if so, what are they? Mm. Well, I mean, content, yeah, I mean, content is one of those really kind of interesting words, right? Um, and I think it covers a lot of different territories. So it's, it's synonymous with so many different activities. Um, and it's kind of all, it, you know, it, it is all of the things that we think about with content. And, and I'd suggest that th those things still exist. I think, you know, for us at HSBC, content can be anything from, you know, you broadcast multimedia campaigns, you've got um, to a helpful nudge on your phone to kind of remind you of your bank ballots and the bills that need to be paid. It could be anything from, you know, a conversation on WeChat that starts with a chatbot and then moves you to a relationship manager to kind of talk about a new wealth product. So, um, I, for us, it actually means a lot of different things. And from, a, from our perspective, we found it helpful to kind of think about content or organize that kind of content around the kind of customer journey. I know kind of another, another kind of phrase has become very common. So we, but we do spend a quite a lot of time thinking about and designing the journey to be helpful and useful at different points in that journey. So for example, like a mortgage journey starts way before you actually kind of move into your house or your apartment. Um, a credit card journey is more than just a purchase. Um, the insurance and building wealth for your family can be quite complicated and quite intricate journeys that need all sorts of content kind of along the way. So that kind of end-to-end -end view helps us. And so we do a lot of kind of mapping of those journeys and go, where's the high point? Where's the low point? How does content in its broader sense help guide or promote or share or be a conversation or help to unblock along that journey? So, and that, and also sort of distinguishing between one way and two way kind of content and messaging. So I think what it's meant for us before COVID was, you know, we were building kind of asset libraries with our creative and media partners um, and also internally, uh, those sorts of sort of bite-sized assets that you could build for any, any pieces of the, that journey um, that also could be anything then again from, you know, some image through to a story about our customer. 
to uh, could be to a service piece of that as well. So I think um, it does, and I think post COVID, it's meant that we've. Uh, I think it's more around not the what of that content, but more about how quickly we've had to pivot to the kinds of content we've created, and um, and also make it available to be tailored and optimized very very quickly. So that that I think is the shift that we've seen, particularly of course in line with the digital migration that we've seen as people have moved and adopted digital. Um, uh, journeys really so quickly, and I think um, it is sort of, sort of again one of those words that has a bit of a I think a watch should have a kind of a watch out label on it as well because it's incredibly helpful because it does describe a wide variety of communications, but it also I think can also be something that you kind of like can be sprinkled on like kind of gold dust on anything, and so it must be good just simply because it's got the word content on it. So I think it has still has to be useful and relevant to that journey is is how I would kind of summarize that. Do you even call it content internally or do you just call it, um, you know, messaging or communications or? Uh, yeah, that we do use the word content. And again, we tend to use the word content to describe that the vast kind of the majority of some of that communication. But then I think we would generally talk about um, specific communications in the context of a journey. So we will then move more into a thinking, which is more helpful um, kind of language around Said that you know is you know what are we looking for? Is this a kind of a two way messaging? You know, is this a nudge? Is this a sort of a you know a dialogue? Is this a relationship manager moment? So we'll talk more then around those moments. And of course, content serves that. Um, but I'd say it's you know it's it's a, it's an interchangeable word. See, it's 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 used fairly widely. I like to get quite specific quite quickly and go, well, what you know what kind of content you're talking about? For what purpose? How does it serve this customer in this journey? Is a much more I think interesting um, kind of you know. Point. I would think that these moments have existed in the customer journey for you know for a very long time with HSBC. So when when has when did the word content start appearing, and uh, what was oh, it before it was question. called content? <laughs> probably just com- just probably communication. Probably just customer yeah. customer communication. I'd suggest. Um, and yeah. I think it's I, I think as as we've talked about, um, or I mean, I think it it kind of got linked. I think to as digital journeys became more and more prevalent. Um, and this idea of having uh, often smaller and smaller pieces or a sort of bite-sized content. Um, and I think mm-hmm. the, there's, I think there's also probably a reference to who's creating it maybe um, as well in terms of, you know, if there's a certain group or that might be creating it, might be a slightly different way they've used the, used the word or as it's, but yeah, you, you tell, I mean, yeah, I, I'm trying to think back for when I started to use the words quite, quite a while ago. <laughs> I think it was about a, I think it was about five years ago um, that that everyone started getting excited about calling mm. it content, um, and I think you're right. I think it was it was around the time that everyone realized a lot of the journeys were going to be digital, um, mm. and that there was a need. If 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 things were moving away from personal in person to digital, we had to replace that personal touch and that conversation with content. Mm. So I think it was around then. Um, but I'm curious, as you think of all these different facets of content internally, how do you think about resource allocation against different time types of content um, and which types are created internally versus which types are created by your agencies? It is a really good question because as you know, we're building said, some of these customer journeys, we've also started to think about what is the the rest of that kind of ecosystem that's around that, that's going to support uh, that customer interaction. So 
we've, you know, in, in terms of relationships we now have with agencies, um, we're building them to be much more flexible and what I would call kind of porous. Um, and by that, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we are um, often, uh, you know, we're often using agencies sometimes to help build some of the, the um, say, the, you know, the marketing tech stack. You know, we would partner with, you know, different agencies to do that. At the same time, you know, we would, you know, we've been also um, sort of in-housing some of our uh, other acquisition activity in some markets, and we're using agency partners also sort of build capability. But and um, also though, I think that you know, it's at the same time we we're really conscious that, particularly given um, uh, so the importance of of data and customer privacy, etc. Um, and particularly, you know, being being a bank, it's really important for us to be able to to you know, decide you know, what sorts of content, et cetera, and how we communicate that with our customers and the, the responsibility we have in terms of looking after our, our, our customers' finances. So um, you know, we've made some de- quite a number of decisions to be able to build that capability ourselves in-house, but we need help to be able to do that and to, to do that at pace. So we, you know, we've partnered with lots of agencies uh, to do that. And you know, but, but as we've done that, um, rather than simply just sort of, you know, contracting, you know, for a time and, you know, and then kind of waving goodbye, I, you know, what I've built up more now with our media partners, our creative agency partners, and also other sort of di- uh, other sorts of agencies, it's a much more of this kind of like more of like oh, this kind of friendly kind of uh, you know, the swing door. So because sometimes, you know, we actually may need them for certain certain topics or certain said building a certain capability around in housing and say digital acquisition. But then you know we'll we'll actually look to build that capability, own that, and then we say right, what's next? What other things might come in? And that's why I think you can get the best of both worlds, where you can you're staying ahead of what's some of the technology that's happening there, but you don't necessarily have to to build all of that yourself. You can bring that in and and be able to have a more sort of flexible kind of approach to that kind of that to that content delivery. Um, but then again, so, and I think the other thing too that we've talked about quite a lot is. Um, this idea of kind of like a kitchen table. So if we're bringing people mm-hmm. in, it's you often say, look, you know, well, you know, and and that and that seats will change, right? Sometimes you'll get up, and you know, sometimes some people will come and go, but you're you're there for a common purpose. And it might be to build, say, a particular customer journey. Um, it might be to optimize that journey, and so therefore, there's there's a kind of like a start and an end, and and I think that 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 approach is much more, you know, I think also much more motivating and interesting. To both our co- colleagues in terms of career development, because they get to work with really great people from other places, and also people coming to work with us. And you know, I'd say that you know that swing door works both ways, right? So we have people coming coming in, and then you know, they actually become part of HSBC and vice versa. And actually, I think that's really productive over time because I think that mm. builds an overall kind of um, team, uh, a team kind of approach to to different topics and, and different tasks that we need to do. So it sounds like it's been very collaborative, but also you're creating the flexibility for yourself to kind of move in and out of different working models as things are very fast evolving. Um, exactly. Over the last few months, what kind of data and, and, on, and on what kind of timeline did you look at to inform the way you thought about making decisions? Hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, we needed... Um, I think the, you know, the first thing I'd say is that we were, you know, when we set up, when we started looking at the response side to COVID, we started to think about what we called it the three R's, and we talked about it in the idea of react, respond, and rebuild. Um, and that was quite helpful because it also allowed us to to kind of look at creating that approach for each market as they move through different phases of of what we're going through at the moment. And not only that, but often you're going to be moving back and forth between each of those. 
So that was quite critical because it helped us to be able to, well, get that kind of right tone, um, get the right approach for markets, um, but also make sure we're reserving also some some effort and thinking about the future, even as we're kind of built and responding to the present. So some of the you know some of the data that we were looking at, particularly early on, obviously was was really around you know what are the cha- what are the channels where customers are used to, obviously they're communicating because some channels were were you know were either limited in some places kind of closed in other places you know of course so we ended up of course having to look very quickly at what were the channels customers were asking us and what were they asking in those channels so you know um and how do we help them into the to the right channel for that information um so yes on the one hand it was it accelerated digital adoption of of you know, of, of financial services across the board, not just for us, of course, but for the industry. So, you know, we were seeing every month, you know, a double digit, often more, kind of, you know, very fast growth in terms of adoption of the different digital channels. But we also thought that, but also what was really important was to say, what are, you know, customers asking for from those channels? And therefore, how can we make sure we've got the right content like that in each of those channels? So that, you know, take an take a example that you're not, uh, for example, you know, the contact center obviously was often used in the first state for people for, to ring up simply because they had a question. Um, and however, often that was, um, you know, overloading the contact center when actually a lot of those, those, those um, inquiries could be serviced online. So we, you know, um, one, of the, one of my team actually built kind of over a weekend, I've got like a face, a basic a chatbot and Facebook messenger simply to be able to shift people and say, look, if you're looking at this particular kind of question, here's where you can go find the information. And that, you know, in one market very rapidly actually simply just decreased the noise in one channel and actually increased it in another, being in a channel that was actually easier to scale. So that, that was why, you know, we had to keep a very close eye on all of those channels, but also what mm-hmm. customers were talking about. So that social media listening became really important. And then, of course, in terms of actual media, you know, split and, and sh- across that, some channels in some markets, you know, obviously went, went, declined immediately, things like outdoor, for example. But interestingly, um, everyone said, well, you know, it's all in digital. Actually, um, a lot of people are home watching TV because they're desperate. They're actually really, you know, they're looking for information from all sorts of places. So actually, you know, TV still became a really important channel to communicate with customers, both from a servicing perspective and an information, um, reassurance, all sorts of things. So we were, yeah, so the media choices shifted. Um, and again, having that flexibility and having that that approach with our uh, often they used to be co-located. Now they're kind of co-located on a Zoom call. But those teams being able to to quickly look at the information coming in often every day and shift the the media mix into the right channels. Um, and we, it was also really important um, also not not to go silent though in a number of different channels, even if people weren't looking necessarily to to buy something or to buy a service or product. It was really important to be there. So that as people were searching for searching for different kind of keywords, for example, um, it was really important to know what those were. So we were actually, you know, actually increased, for example, some of our paid search content just so we knew what customers were asking for, and therefore could make sure we were direct directing it to the right way. So having that sort of the data analytics at your fingertips, and that's why I said that's why it's really important. I think you know, the decision we made to that we would have a lot of that capability in house. But leverage the expertise in our agencies to be able to quickly mix, change, you know, shift the mix was really important. Mm. When you think about the the digital media investments, did did they change at all the the kind of breakdown of investments 
that you had before versus after, or not after, during, I guess, COVID. We're still, yeah, yes. Oh, yeah, God. we're still very much in the thick of it. Yeah, it's, it's, as I said, I think it's, um, we've made, we've, we've definitely optimized with that. We are absolutely increasing it, but I think that's, that is happening anyway. Um, but I think, you know, what we're seeing, of course, is that sort of decades in, you know, in days phenomenon where we are seeing mass, you know, adoption of a lot of the digital channels. So actually in some places, you know, that kind of, the cost of servicing that channel has come down um, or the cost of reaching those customers because so many people are, are now much more online. Um, so we've shifted, you know, continue to shift into, into, into digital more and more. So that's definitely a growth decrease in other other more kind of conventional channels but keeping an eye on that because I said I think you know as as other as you move through those three as you know through react to respond and rebuild there are still going to be places where customers are still going to want to be able to to interact or find out more information but it's definitely you know increased and as I said you know we've we've looked at, across you know we said so whether it's sort of whether it's paid search um whether it's um some of the other uh said you know other kind of uh, online activities, uh, particularly, I'd say in you know in social in social media as well, we know that people are, are, are looking there, and um, that's a great way, of course, to be able to serve up much more kind of those sorts of bite bite sized pieces. Um, and some of that's information, some of that is directive, um, and also can then you know and and we've quickly uh, also said throughout this been able to, I mean, so, you know, I think we're really being pleased with the way that the obvious overall from a bank perspective we've been able to sort of pivot to meet those customer needs very quickly um so be able to change for example signature requirements um and be able to work with our regulators around the world so that some of those don't have to be in a branch or they can't be in a branch anymore be able to do those mm -hmm. more online so some of that has also meant we you know we've increased a lot of activity um, in digital which what the before was may have been more around awareness building consideration and of course acquisition, but now we've been building into that a lot more actually servicing pieces to that customer journey that weren't there before. When you think about um, digital content and potentially what I'm referring to, just to be specific, given how how big this definition is, um, mm -hmm. when you think about longer form digital content. Um, you guys are creating content in partnership with publishers. You're creating content on your own and operated. I'm curious, is the North Star for content like that to meet people where they are and engage them and hopefully have a good interaction with them? Is it to drive them back to a relevant event on your own and operated and, you know, study the, the success of that content through conversion? How, how do you think about that? Well, I think if you think about the, you know, the, the funnel um, or say, customer journey, let's take, say, um, personal loan or, or a credit card, um, you know, journey for, for customers. You know, we do think of it as, as a funnel. Obviously, you're still building awareness. There is a move through consideration and then conversion and so into, into product sale. The, uh, there, there is a role still absolutely for, for each of those parts to that funnel. Um, so even within this time, you know, we found it's still really important, again, to reassure customers around, um, you know, sort of the breadth of, of things that HSBC can do. Um, and in terms of the, you know, the, the, the form of the content, um, again, it, it, context or the, you know, the context of the customer, again, is quite, is quite important. You talked about starting with where the customer is at. Um, absolutely. So, yes, we still have uh, we want to be, you know, we still have some product sales which are going to be really important, and we want to make sure they're available for customers. At the same time, some of the things that have been um, uh, our customers have really appreciated 
is also we call kind of thought leadership pieces around actually what's going on and what that might mean. Particularly, say for example, uh, you know, for wealth and wealth investments, is this the right time to invest? What kinds of things sh- you know should I invest in? Um, so you know, take it take an example. We had uh, in our you know sort of in our B two B space for our corporate customers, we originally right. we planned a particular thought piece around investment um, in certain in certain, some certain industries as a face to face activity, right? It was going to have about 200 people. It was going to be located in a certain, you know, certain city or whatever else. In this case, it was this happened to be in the UK. Um, and within, you know, obviously when as things went into lockdown, we actually pivoted that within a week to a, to a webinar um, and had 11,000 people sign up. So instantly we had, you know, went from 200 to 11,000. Um, and because clearly, of course, you know, and, and it's different things as, as we've moved through the, through the crisis, but that just gives an example of um, actually, you know, and, and that content was actually quite, you know, quite, it, it was a combination of speakers. It had some kind of other kind of long form content, which was then repurposed into bite-sized pieces and then shared out through other social media channels. So it had a longer life, but instantly actually it was able to scale because of the, said the, the need of the customer. Um, so we've, you know, I think again, it's really important to have the kind of flexible content size um, and that I talked about, I talked about asset libraries before. I think it, we want more and more of those to be infinitely flexible. I think it's really important because there is so much clutter out there, right? So we, we've also conscious of having some kind of consistent assets or what I call kind of distinctive brand assets so that people know it's instantly from HSBC. It is about this. Um, and there's always more, you know, kind of click here. Do you want to know more? But there's some kind of, you know, some, some initial information that's going to be helpful and useful. Um, and of course, you know, we can, we can optimize that in mm-hmm. certain platforms. In other ones, it's going to be a broader, broader scope. But that, what I, that's what I'm really looking for is that kind of infinite flexibility where, you know, and, and tailored. And of course, one of the things I'm sure, and I know a lot of people did this as well, was in the, you know, it meant then using some of our assets and converting them into a lot more imagery that could then be com- combined with local language very, very quickly. So not being bound up uh, by having things which were too kind of of a moment in a particular place. It needed to be said much more flexible than that. So animation became really quickly incredibly popular. Um, our iconography, other kind of images. Um, and of course, that, that's up its own kind of consequences around finding the right agencies and agency partners to be able to do that. But um, but I'm, I'm hopeful. So one of the things I think that will stick from this is this, this um, you know, the, the importance of having this broad library. By the way, they're not just said you know the marketing community specifically um, are using and with their agency partners, but actually you know we've opened that up to a lot of people across the bank to be able to use for internal communication. So the same the same content being repurposed internally. I mean we have you know over two hundred thousand employees in the bank. So it's really important as a way also to be able to communicate to them mm-hmm. about what's going on. And often they're just as interested in some of these topics um, as our customers are. So we found that to also to be really important to actually make it much more accessible. We'll be right back to pros and content after this brief message. The Pros and Content Podcast is brought to you by Notch, the content intelligence platform for brands. For a demo and to learn how to best plan, measure, optimize, and benchmark your content marketing strategy, visit us at notch.com. K-N-O-T-C-H dot com. Notch. It's all you'll ever need. 
I love that example of the webinar that became 11,000 people and the fact that you were able to then repurpose that content and cut it in many different ways. And it kind of makes me, one, realize, because we have a lot of examples of that here at Notch, but it makes me realize how much more efficient uh, online content becomes when you're truly forced to create it online, especially in the context of live events and all the different assets that you can then derive from that. But I think it also begs the question, are we ever going to go back to these 200 person live events? How are we going to look back and say, okay, yeah, we think the ROI of this live event is actually worth it. Do you think we'll, do you think you will ever go back to that as a, as a bank? I think that um, I, I, there's absolutely, I think, going to be far more what I call kind of virtual live. Um, and we found that that, uh, you know, that just simply the opportunity to experiment with this and experiment at scale and do it really quickly, we've learned a great deal. Um, and so that was one example. We've also, for example, we have a lot of partnerships with, um, broad partnerships with, say, sport and with other sort of cultural events. And therefore, again, being able to convert that into virtual uh, invitations has been you know, kind of interesting. We have a lot of sports ambassadors. So what we did was actually repurpose again a lot of the, the sports ambassadors, what would have been a day at a particular event, to actually a virtual streaming event where you can actually ask. We recently ran one with some, some of our, uh, our golfers and also who actually talked then about, for example, health and well-being how they're managing to stay healthy during, during the crisis, but also doing masterclasses. Um, and of course, then rather than having a very few people kind of looking at you know, a particular masterclass in certain activities, they were able to, to scale that and, and have lots of people be able to share that. Another example we did actually recently, and actually last week in the US, where we had a, um, uh, we had a chef and it was a, it was one of a, it was a virtual event with, uh, with Jeffrey we get the name correct, Zacharyan. Um, anyway, so and so what he did was how we held a virtual event. Um, so with a lot of our customers, where he was in his kitchen, he was actually making making stuff. He had the Q and A open, so it was a live kind of Q and A event, and he was preparing food and talking about the last forty years and what he's been doing and how. And so he's preparing food in front of you know basically in front of people, um, and they're able to actually have an interactive experience with him. So that I think awesome. is, a, is a really interesting kind of way is it, to, to pivot that. I think we'll be doing a lot more of that. And at the same time, we know, even if we've seen some markets actually start to open up and have other events live, how people are craving some of that personal experience and those in, those in the moment experiences. So I think it will be a blend. I think we'll be doing more of the virtual life because the opportunity to actually give more, to have that accessibility for more of our customers, we found when it's not diluting the experience at all. In fact, often it's enhancing. It's even feeling even more personal in, in, you know, in a really interesting kind of way. That, I think, is going to supplement then some of those in-person experiences, which become often like celebratory and, and uh, recognition and those sorts of things as well. And some of those big uh, those sporting events that we all, you know, we will still all want to do. So I really do see a bit of both. But I think the other piece too that that means is that we can then stretch that commitment, those those um, the combination of those things, and again back to the asset repurposing. We can then mm -hmm. bridge and have ongoing engagement with customers between events, as opposed to having kind of like you know just six, you know two a or three days or then. a week. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now we can actually stretch this and have much more build up, um, and then much more kind of said uh, often repurposing, and that that I think is where you know you you. 
you know, we're now creating a lot more communities around people's passion points. And that I think is a really interesting why into that. And again, if we think about some of the the themes that are coming up that we knew were really important, even pre-COVID, things like, uh, you know, um, uh, not just, uh, you know, obviously financial resilience, but health, the, whole, you know, the intersection between health and wealth. That is really, you know, that, that's becoming a huge theme. I think that's going to be, again, something that we'll want to do more of. Um, and mm-hmm. it'll be a combination of both virtual and in person. I like that as a prediction, and I agree with it. I, I still think there will be less live events, but that um, that is a reflection of how crazy it all got before COVID. Yeah. I don't know about you, but there were so many conferences popping up left and right. Um, and I was dreading the fall because the fall is always a crazy conference season in the U.S., mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's, it'll be fun to be able to access the content in a much more democratic way online. Um, so I like that as a prediction, as you think about the third R, which is the rebuild. Yeah. Um, can you already think about that as a organization in particular as a marketing organization? And if so, what is your prediction around when you can truly start rebuilding, um, you know, in a post COVID world? Well, I think as we're you know we're seeing even now, I think um, what what we're what we're seeing is you know we've got react, respond, and rebuild. Even as we're moving into rebuild uh, in some markets, let's say in China as an example, where you know we're you know we've got you know, we've got some new you know, uh, new new products that we've been selling, and um, and you know we've launched a new credit card in Hong Kong recently as well. So we are in the process of launching you know new products and new customer journeys. Absolutely. Um, at the same time, we're actually you know, conscious that we will always, you know, we'll, we'll need, I think, for quite some time, uh, a portion of our investments and resources, I use that term broadly, people, time and money, uh, again, you know, with that react, because I do think there's going to be kind of movement back and forward. You know, we've seen the, the, you know, the, the wave effect. And I do think um, that that's going, to, that's going to be part of the, the future. So, what are we thinking about? I think we're, you know, we're thinking a lot about said, what are those habits that are going to stick, um, and how are we resourcing that, and what are those things which are saying kind of like you know, or boomerang habits, right? I'm Australian, I can use that word. So, yes, you know, things that are going to, you know, going to kind of bounce back, so they're kind of bounce back. Um, there. I think the you know so the on the on the former on the things that the habits are going to stick you know clearly that's so that digital migration that digital adoption has absolutely been on steroids so you know we are you know in terms of rebuilding for that it's going to be said much more about making sure that um, all of our content is built um, you know it was already being built really with a kind of mobile phone in mind but i think it's 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 up it's clearly up the urgency around that everything really needs to be tailored to that and that digital offering first and making sure that it's consistent, distinctive, is able to be bite-sized. Uh, it needs to work on any screen at any scale. So th- those sorts of, you know, that, that's what we're thinking about now in terms of, said, you know, that we're already thinking about the briefs, you know, the idea of what are the briefs for next year, what are the products that are coming out. So that absolutely has been sort of the backbone now. But on the other hand, I think there's, there's also, I think, you know, there are a number of you know, parts of that journey where we talked about if you're thoughtful about where, where is the, again, that kind of human interaction. So because I think, you know, COVID's amplified both the need for so that digital, digital uh, interactions for transactional items that, you know, that will be helpful and useful, 
But it's also, I said, you know, helped us to understand that when you can blend really exceptional um, digital experiences with really exceptional people who are going to be available at the right time to talk to things and talk to, you know, to, uh, you know, said wealth challenges or, um, you know, education for your children or, you know, some kind of um, other kind of complicated financial situation you might be in or, you know, some kind of insurance thing that you'd like to talk to about, you often want to talk to somebody. And by the way, that's not an age thing either. You know, we all, the data that we've seen suggests that actually even for a lot of people, including, you know, a lot of, of our younger colleagues and our younger customers, they do want to talk to people. They actually want to have a human, you know, a human to human interaction. So this idea that, you know, you don't need to actually, everything can be done on, on, on you know, in a, in a mobile right. environment. Um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't believe that. And the data doesn't, doesn't, doesn't bear that out. Um, do everybody would like to have, you know, seamless frictionless experiences for certain parts of, 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 a, of a customer journey, particularly in transactional items. But when it comes to complicated financial things or financial resilience, we find people really value being able to reach out to, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to someone who has expertise. So, and this goes to the thing that I think that, um, a, you know, a, a belief and, and I think it's, you know, is with that's for customers. I mean, customers' lives are not linear, right? We move between offline and online worlds all the time. We're in a lot more online, you know, the online world right now. But if we think again around, said like, you know, those boomerang habits, do I want to spend the rest of my working life on Zoom? No, I do not. <laughs> right? I want yep. to be able to, to interact with you know, the rest of my team, with my family, with my friends in different ways. So actually, I think it's been, it's, I think it's going, so what we're being th- thinking about is how do we look at that, um, refresh those customer journeys and go, at what point do you, is it even really, really important to have that kind of human to human interaction? And and what are those things that actually people are now very accepting, um, and of having of of having a completely online experience, but being conscious that we do move between offline and online, often between you know, in the same half an hour between things. So um, that's where I think you know we we're, we're tracking those habits, um, both quant in a quant way and also in a qual way, talking to customers regularly because I think that's going to be hugely helpful to designing those that you know the, the better customer journeys of the future. I love that. Well, so I didn't catch your Australian accent, which I think just means I can't separate the British from the Australian, which you know right, is I'll weird because you. I am <laughs> I am getting married to a Brit, so uh, I should probably <laughs> learn that. But um, it made me realize that I haven't yet asked you what what your journey to to you know this this beautiful office in London <laughs> in and the current job that you currently that you have has my, been my, my shed um, my shed <laughs> my, my shed, shed. <laughs> it looks really cool you know the listeners <laughs> can't see it but it looks very cool and and you look very professional with your microphone set up it's great um but I'm curious what your journey has been and what got you to become a CMO um and I'm also curious as you think about the future role of the CMO mm. what are the things that um that you're excited about learning the new skills that you think everyone should learn, um, and you know what are the types of people that you think will become CMOs in ten to twenty years? Yeah, that's a, I really I really like that question. Um, look, how did I how did I get here? Um, yeah, so I was brought up in Australia. Um, made my accents mellowed a little bit. Um, I haven't lived there for a long time. Uh, Which part of Australia? In Sydney. Yes, uh, brought up in Sydney. Okay. Uh, and look, I think Australians are often known for being what I call, you know, restless and 
restless, curious travellers. I'm probably at the the uh, definitely at, well, I'm, I'm at the extreme end of that spectrum for sure. Um, I also spent a few years as a child in Papua New Guinea, so I think that probably also fueled a bit of that kind of sense of adventure. Um, and look, you know, in full disclosure to to all our listeners, you know, I don't have a marketing degree. So I studied oh, economics. No. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. Stu- I studied economics and history in Sydney, um, and then I joined Unilever, which you know I think is one of the great training grounds for a lot of marketers um, around the world. I was no exception. So look, you know, Unilever was where I fell in love with brands, um, and it's also where I I started to to get a glimpse about why consumers behave the way that they do. And it's also where I understood the kind of central role that brands play in business decision making. Um, and I thought, you know, I really, I do want to be part of that. I, I want to be, uh, lead businesses that prioritize customer insight, consumer insight, and create products and services that people really need. So I set out to learn as much as I could about that, about why, how consumers behave, or an impact that has on business prosperity. So that can obviously be quite uncomfortable as you learn, you practice, you learn, you practice, you kind of get up, learn again. Um, and one of, my men- one of my mentors said to me very early on that you don't build a legacy taking the comfortable jobs. And that really stuck with me. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, I've kind of thought then about what are those kind of three things and if I'm going to take those things that are slightly uncomfortable that kind of forces me to learn um you know I, I always encourage people to have kind of like their three kind of like power questions right you know so you can say mm-hmm. yes or no to things it could be this podcast it could be another job or whatever else it is you know either inside or outside kind of organizations or things like that so for me it's been around um the first one is is you know is what I'm doing strategically significant like does it matter to the bottom line what I'm going to do Secondly is what am I going to learn? It could be a new team, it could be a new industry, it could be it could be a new country. Um, uh, you know, and also the third one is how do I leave the business and the team better than when I walked in the door? So, mm. and I really I really would encourage anyone listening today to kind of get what what are your kind of three kind of power power questions? Because I think the pace of change now requires us to to be really thoughtful about you know, it's it's. We need to keep learning. We're going to have to keep learning and unlearning. We have to be ready. We've got to be resilient. We, we've got to be a little bit restless, I think. Um, you know, I've lived in seven countries so far, and I'm still learning, right? So I think that, and you talked about then, I think, you know, the kind of, the kind of CMO that I am and the kind of skills I'm looking for. Um, I've, you know, I have a view around marketing. that I call it the holy trinity, if you like, um, like the power of threes. So, you know, marketing, <laughs> marketing exists to identify compelling customer insights that leverage your distinctive brand assets to drive business growth. And my role as a CMO is to ensure that we are paying sufficient attention to kind of each of those three things. So if we think about the, the first one um, in terms of, you know, um, you know customer insight, I mean, it, I think we have a you know, unique responsibility as marketers because within an organization, I think we're, you know, we're kind of like the voice of the customer right? inside that organization, the, you know, the insight whisperer, whatever you want to call it. Because um, so, data and info gets you so far. It tells you what people are doing, but not why. 
Um, and I think the interpreting and then kind of fusing data and insight is kind of a special responsibility and helps us get to the right kinds of products and services. The second thing around distinctive brand assets, um, we talked a bit about this before. In, like, in a world of clutter, brands matter even more, I believe. Those distinctive logos, colors, smells, taste, imagery, tone, they all help our kind of customers navigate the world um, and help make decisions much easier. Um, and the business growth, because we've got an obligation to support the business ambitions of our organizations. That means our brands are going to help more and more customers. And, you know, we've been around for 155 years. I like to believe we're going to be around for another 155 years at least. So it's, it's important that we support that business growth ambition. So I do think that brands are at the heart of good business decision making. And so when I'm looking for people around that table, I'm looking for um, those sorts of roles that are going to, that, that, so that, that idea of the kitchen table, I'm looking for that kind of insight whisperer. I'm looking for the data scientist. I'm looking for that commercial rigor. I'm looking for someone to kind of, who, who can kind of join, join that, the, 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 the one who can do customer journey mapping. I'm looking for those sorts of things. And the reason I say this also because, uh, you know, I do have a view that diversity is a property of groups. It's not a property of individuals. And having worked in so many diverse teams around the world, um, I've really seen that up close and personal, being part of those teams. And um, it, it, that's where better ideas come from. I'm, you know, there are some things I'm, I'm okay at. There are an awful lot of things that the rest of the team are much better at. And I think it's putting that combination together that I, th I see that as my kind of special responsibility. And they're the sorts of, um, if you like, ingredients, they're the sorts of roles I see that are going to be more, really more important in the future. You know what I thought was interesting because I was uh, making mental notes as you were talking about these roles. You said customer journey mapping, data scientist, commercial rigor. I love all of those things. I did not hear the word creative. So I think that's yes. interesting. No. Is it because creative is getting more commoditized or no, is no, it because probably it sits because, outside? No, no. I mean, I, I should also add there what I'm also need around the table is like what I call the creative magician. Um, because I do, and I absolutely, so it is absolutely part of that table. Um, and I think that, uh, and I think a lot of those roles actually have what I call almost like overlapping skills. So you want people to have some of that so special expertise, but also this idea of having, you know, people around the table who are that kind of like slightly overlapping. So if you're, you know, if you are that creative magician, you're also going to be really good at interpreting insight. If you've got a customer journey map, you're probably, you're also going to be really good at interpreting data. So I think um, you know, the way that sort of I look at my kind of like my, my, my leadership team and the, the teams they're creating, it's a combination of all of those things. You'll have some a combination of specialists, but also I am looking for people who are, who can have that, um, that overlappingness. Um, that I think is actually cri really critical in the future. And that's that dip that, you know, I talked about adaptability and resilience because, you know, I, I know I've, I've learned so many new things, you know, I, I can't remember all the things I've had to forget kind of along the way and unlearn you know, over the, over the last decades before we you know where we are today. And I'm sure they'll be the same in the future uh, because, you know, and I think I said, you know, we've accelerated so much this year about the things that I think, you know, we're, we're proud of being able to, to get in and serve our customers even more. But there's going to be so much more to do. Um, and so I, I'm optimistic. Um, I think, you know, we, you know we, we will get through this and we're, we're really learning through this, I think, how better to collaborate actually together, how better to combine that. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, when we do get to meet again, I think we'll be also really grateful for those times we're able to, to meet and, and, uh, and interact um, and, and spark other ideas as well that 
not necessarily always sparked by Zoom. Well, I, I love that. And I hope that we get to meet in Cannes next year. Because <laughs> I, yes. I definitely missed it this year. Um, It'll be two and, years in one, we hope, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much for, for those ideas. It's really encouraging to hear your optimism and also to just hear how important you think uh, every single role around the table is um, and, and how you're thinking about really bringing the creative side of the house in partnership with the commercial and the data-driven side of the house. So thank you so much for sharing your ideas today. It was such a refreshing, energizing conversation for me, and I'm sure the listeners will, will love hearing this. It's great. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed being part of this. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been a delight. Thank you, Leanne. Thank you. Bye. Great. Thanks for listening to our interview with Leanne Cutts, the Group Chief Marketing Officer at HSBC. Her insights are timely, yet they'll never go out of style. As noted, it's important to continue to shift more heavily towards meeting customer needs in flexible digital environments, all while putting the well-being of your customers and your employees at the front of everything you do. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Pros and Content will be back soon with a great batch of new episodes, so make sure you subscribe and rate the show wherever you're listening. And if you have any questions or ideas for future guests, please email me at ray at notch.com. See you next time on Pros and Content.